going in our Bibles to the book of Luke, chapter number 24. I mentioned it already. It doesn't need to be mentioned, but it sure is hot in here. I feel like if I say it, it I cool off immediately. Luke, chapter number 24. Brother Chad said, I think it's going to be a short sermon today, isn't it? can't get much shorter. Luke chapter 24, beginning at verse number 45. Just a few weeks ago, we were uh, together, we began to look at, at characters and, and, and places between the cross and Pentecost as we prepare for uh, the celebration of Pentecost Sunday coming up the first Sunday of June. We talked about, about Thomas and Judas, those two central characters at the cross between there and Pentecost. And I draw your attention today to Luke 24, beginning at verse number 45. We'll look at a group of people today. I believe God would help us before we leave here this Sunday afternoon. It says this, Then hoped he their understanding that they might understand the Scriptures. And said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. Now we like that verse. It's exciting. God's about to do something. There's, there's a promise coming. There's power coming. It's it sounds exciting. But notice with me now, verse number 50. And he led them out as far as to Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came to pass, while he blessed them, that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. Now, a few weeks ago, we focused on just a few, those that we call one of the twelve. Today I want to draw your attention to this great group of people, some 500 in number, standing here between the cross and Pentecost as Jesus leads them out to Bethany and He's departed from them and carried into heaven. The final stop before Pentecost is Bethany. And I want to ask you today this thought, what will you do in Bethany? What will you do Bethany. Before you're seated, would you just lift up your hands to heaven one more time and ask God to speak to us through His Word. God, we thank You for Your presence that we feel here so powerfully in this place today. I pray that You would speak to us and challenge us from Your Word. God, let Your Word come alive in our hearts and in our minds. Give us eyes that can see and ears that can hear what You would have to say today. Help us all determine in our spirit before we leave here that we will not stop until Pentecost. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated as I remain standing and sweating. <laughs> Luke chapter number 24, the setting of our text today is, is over a period that amounts to 40 days. It begins, Luke 24 does, with those who made their way to that empty tomb to discover that the stone had been rolled away and that the tomb was empty. And then 
Luke gives a rather detailed account of some of the interactions that Jesus would have with his disciples before it concludes where we are in our text today with his commission and his ascension. But the chapter begins on the heels, we understand this having just talked about it a few weeks ago, on the heels of what would no doubt be the single greatest test of faith that the disciples had ever or would ever endure. As one believer was quoted in the chapter describing her emotion and the heartbreak at having witnessed the crucifixion of Jesus in verse 21, when she laments to this would-be stranger that she doesn't uh, fully comprehend is actually Jesus. And she says, but we trusted that it had been He which should have redeemed Israel. She said, we were hoping that He was the one. We, We put our confidence, our trust in Him, and yet we watched Him die. Of course, these believers at this point of the story, they don't know the end of the story that we know. All they have at the beginning of Luke 24 are the stories of a few about an empty tomb, and they are forced to try to reconcile those stories with their own terrible memories, watching their hope fade away with every labored breath of Jesus as they watched Him hanging there, suffering on that tree. But it is to those same people, the doubters, the fearful, those who just a few days prior had watched their hope fade away, who were feeling quite hopeless and fearful. It was to those same people that Luke 24 tells us and gives us the account after another account that that Jesus suddenly begins to reveal himself to them again and again as over and over he shows up right where they are at. You can read it for yourself. One time, even showing up in a room where the door never opened, just, there he is. I don't know about you, but if he did that, he'd have to do another miracle for me that day. I would be dead. In fact, Luke would say it this way in the opening verses of Acts chapter number 1 in verse 3, to whom? to the doubter, to the discouraged, to the despondent, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. In other words, he kept showing up in their lives, and every time he showed up, he brought plenty of evidence that he was still Alive, He showed up to Thomas, the doubter. Oh, Thomas, I know you have doubts. I know you've seen more than you think your faith can handle, but Thomas, handle me and see. Oh, disciples, I know that you feel as though you have been forsaken and forgotten, but you and you're afraid of what is to come. But let me show you some evidence that I am still very much alive. Hear me. Jesus never avoided the doubter, and he never sidestepped the skeptic, but over and over again, it was as though those were the people and those were the places that he liked to show up right in the middle of the doubt. Right in the middle of the fear. 
right in the middle of the pain. And when he showed up over and over again, he brought more than enough evidence that they could still believe that he was alive and he was still in control. Can I just preach to you today and tell you that if you look around, there are plenty of reasons for us to doubt. If you look at the shape and the condition of our world, or perhaps you would be even even more honest and say even in your family or in your finances or in your health, you would say that there's a lot of reasons to doubt what's going on in your life, but I would just tell you today that Jesus will show up in your life over and over again. In the moment that you are doubting, God can show up. In the moment that you have questions, God is able to show up, and He will show up with more than enough evidence to believe that He is alive. Handle Him and see. You may have doubts. I preached about Thomas and his doubts, that that obstacle, that great obstacle on the way to Pentecost. But your doubts don't stop Jesus from showing up right where you're at. Thomas, you can handle me and see. You may have fears. You may have, have insecurities. There may be things that you are wrestling with today. But I tell you that those things do not stop God from showing up in our lives. And so it is that Jesus spends these 40 days with his disciples. Showing himself alive, the Bible says, opening their understanding, revealing the truth of his resurrection, and commissioning them to go into the world with the gospel, giving them the promise of the Spirit. It was a good period of time, to be sure. But then the Bible says in verse 50 that he led them out as far as to Bethany. And from there, he was carried up into heaven as far as to Bethany. It can almost be missed if you read this story casually, as in his final moments uh, of time with his disciples, he chooses Bethany as the backdrop for his ascension, the place where he would be carried away into heaven. He leads them, the Bible says, to Bethany, this place less than two miles from Jerusalem, and from there he's carried away. He left them in Bethany. Bethany is that last stop before Pentecost. And it does not take an in-depth study for you and I to be uh, made aware that Bethany was not an unfamiliar place for Jesus or for his disciples. It was from there in Bethany that Jesus would perform that incredible miracle of raising Lazarus from the grave well past the time that anyone believed that it should be possible. It was here in Bethany, in fact, that a woman would come and break that alabaster box in an act of worship so significant and powerful that Jesus said that her story would be on the lips of preachers across the world and across time. And it was here in Bethany that Jesus would do something so shocking and stunning that the disciples uh, would be so taken aback as he cursed a fig tree because it had leaves and no fruit. So Bethany was not an unfamiliar place for Jesus or for his disciples. It was Bethany. This place where there were plenty of memories of the miraculous that Jesus chooses to speak his last words to his disciples before they witness him ascend to heaven for 40 days. Stay with me now. He had been with the disciples revealing himself alive, but in Bethany, his visible presence disappears from their sight. For 40 days, miraculous, supernatural days, he, they hear his voice as he expounded on the scripture so powerfully. But now, at Bethany, 
His audible voice is silenced to this group, and they will hear Him no more. You see, Bethany was a place where miracles happened, sure, but it also was a place that miracles stopped happening. It was a place just two miles outside of the promised place, Jerusalem, but it is not the place that Jesus left them. He didn't leave them in the place of promised Jerusalem. He leaves them in Bethany. So the disciples are forced to make a decision. What are we going to do in this place that we find ourselves in? What are we going to do in this place where it seems like God is suddenly silent and all you have is a promise from His Word that if you'll keep going and keep trusting and keep believing that suddenly something will happen that He promised in your life. And this is what I want to draw your attention to in this journey from the cross to Pentecost on this Sunday afternoon as we take that journey that along the way to our place of promise and breakthrough there is a place called Bethany that we must all confront in our lives. So I ask you, what will you do in Bethany? What are you going to do when you've heard God's voice and you've seen His works, but suddenly you're in a place where you do not hear His voice and where His works are not seen as they were before? What will you do in Bethany? What will you do when the signs of His resurrection seem to be all in the past, when you cannot hear His voice anymore, when all you have is the promise of His Word that you have to hold on to that directs you back to Jerusalem and you're stuck waiting for that promise to come to pass? What will you do in your Bethany? What will you do? We all have to answer this question in the seasons when it seems like God is silent. What are we going to do when... The miraculous moments of our lives seem to be nothing more than a distant memory in our minds and we're believing and we're trusting and, 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 and we, we've had great times with God and we, we, we've embraced His words of promise and yet it seems as though we are left in a place where none of those things seem to be happening. Bethany. You see, Bethany has two meanings. Shockingly, it means the house of affliction. So Jesus leaves them in this place where plenty of miracles had happened, but it was also a place surrounded by broken things and broken people and affliction. What will you do when you feel as though you've been left in the house of affliction? I tell you, we will all find ourselves in Bethany, what will you do when you're surrounded by more brokenness than you are by breakthroughs? When you're praying, but it doesn't seem like God is answering. When you're coming to church and you're being faithful, and let, yet it seems like everything is falling apart in your life. And you're praying prayers of faith, and yet everybody seems to be getting sicker. And nothing seems to be getting any better. What will you do in Bethany? What are you going to do? And Luke tells us of some, so powerfully, he says, and they worshipped and returned with great joy. He said there were some who even when they couldn't see him, that, that these in the crowd, they were so compelled and so moved by what they had already seen and what they had already heard that they said, I'll keep believing and I'll keep trusting and I'll keep worshiping and pursuing the promise with joy who even when they couldn't hear his promise so clearly anymore, they were still able to cling to the promises with faith. People who had faith and joy that even when the signs stopped and the voice was silent, 
silent, they said, I will still worship Him. And I will still trust Him. And I will still believe in Him even when I cannot see Him. Can I just preach to you for a few moments on this Sunday afternoon and tell you that you don't have to let your place determine your purpose. uh, And you don't have to let your location determine your worship. You can make up in your mind, I will trust Him whatever comes my way. I will believe that He is true regardless of what I face. When sickness comes, I will trust Him. When financial hardship comes my way, I will trust Him. I will worship even in Bethany. There were worshipers in Bethany. Yes, we're surrounded by brokenness. Yes, they were surrounded by chaos and affliction and silence without signs or seeing. But they were so moved by what had already happened that they were compelled to pursue the promise even when they could not see Him any longer. You've got to hear me today. We all will come to this place called Bethany where we have claimed promises that have not come to pass yet and where we've claimed family members that have not come to God yet and we pray for revival that has not happened yet. You know what I'm talking about. You've been there and we sure we've seen God move before and we've heard the stories of the miraculous and we've even heard God's voice but now neither of those things seem close by. What will you do in that place in Bethany? And I tell you that we have got to make up our mind That if we are ever going to see God do for, in, and through us what He desires to do, we've got to determine in our spirit that we will worship Him regardless what comes our way. And that we will worship Him wherever we are. That my worship is not predicated on where I am. It's predicated on whose I am. I am a child of the King, and God has given me great promise. And God has given me a great anointing. God has done too much for me. God has brought me through too much. My praise isn't predicated on my position. It's tied to my promise. I'm a worshiper in Jerusalem and in Bethany, in plenty and in want, in, on Sunday and on Monday. I can worship Him in broken places. And if that is your heart, why don't you just lift up your hands for just a moment and say, God, help me to worship you in broken places. Help me to worship you until I see the promise come. Help me, God, to believe that your word is true even when I don't hear it as clearly as I used to. Help me, God. To be a worshiper. Help me to worship in Bethany. But for some reason, and I will not preach much longer, Luke does not mention those that Mark mentions in his book recording the same events. Mark says, when they saw him, they worshipped him. Yes. But then he says this, but some doubted. While there were some who worshipped, there were others at Bethany who began to wonder if it was all a figment of their imagination. While some ran to Jerusalem with great joy, uh, just with expectation, believing that God was going to do what He said, there were others who wandered around never making the short two-mile journey to Jerusalem, never seeing the promise come to pass. In fact, of the 500 who saw him alive by the time the promise is fulfilled, the Bible says there were about 120 gathered in the upper room. So I ask you today, what are you going to do on your way to Pentecost? 
What are you going to do on your way to the promise that God has for you? What are you going to do on the way to that life that God has built for you and that plan and that calling that God has set up for you? What are you going to do on that way in those places where it doesn't seem like things are coming together and where you don't feel the presence of God and you don't feel the anointing like you used to? What are you going to do in places like Bethany? John said that Bethany was nigh to or near to Jerusalem, close to the promise, close to the breakthrough, close to the answer. But doubt kept them out because while doubt cannot stop God, doubt can stop you when you allow it to alter your step. And so I preach to you today and I tell you that God has great things for your life. That God has a future and a calling and an anointing for you. That God has great things for this church. That God has great things for this city. But in order for us to see it, we've got a purpose in our hearts that we will not get discouraged on the journey there. That I will not get discouraged. I believe that God's going to save my family so I will not get discouraged on the journey there. I believe that God is going to work in my job situation so I will not get discouraged discouraged on the journey there. I believe that God is going to move in my marriage so I will not get discouraged on the journey there. I will trust His Word and His promises and I will cling to them with faith and I will have worship on my lips. But the question that we must ask ourselves and answer as Brother Titus begins to come on the music is why would Jesus leave them in Bethany? Why not just walk them to the upper room? And leave them there. If he could take them by the hand and lead them anywhere, why not take them straight to the place of promise? Why leave them in a place where there was brokenness and there was affliction? Why take them to a place two miles away? Why not tuck them in safely in that promised place? And I believe that Bethany was his stop on purpose. Because Bethany was always a place in the scripture that required a decision. And that decision determines what we see on the other side of Bethany. The Bible tells us, as I mentioned, that Mary and Martha lived in Bethany. Their brother, whom they believed Jesus loved, lived there too. But now, Jesus didn't come through the way they expected him to, and Lazarus is dead. What are you going to do in Bethany, Mary and Martha? Will you doubt or will you trust? You see, Bethany, sometimes it looks like a place where God doesn't come through the way you expected Him to. Yeah, those places, they exist on the way to promise. It's in Bethany that Jesus is sitting in the house of Simon the leper where suddenly that woman finds her way into the home and breaks that expensive oil in an act of worship while others in the room sit there indignantly. What are you going to do when you're surrounded by affliction and hurt? When God seems to be coming through for others but not for you? Will you worship or will you criticize? Will you worship or will you doubt? What will you do in Bethany? You see sometimes on the journey to Jerusalem, going to come to places where it seems like God's doing more for others than for you. Oh, fig tree, what are you going to do in Bethany? Will you
you sit there and say the time isn't right when the circumstances are perfect I'll produce when everything goes my way I'll, I'll live for God when the timing is better when my job situation is more in line then I'll do what I'm supposed and was created to do what are you going to do in fig tree Bethany are you going to produce or will you be cursed what will you do in that moment times that we feel as though been left in Bethany. Maybe the promise won't come to pass. I thought he was a healer. I thought he loved me. I thought he called me. I thought he had revival for me. I thought he was alive, but suddenly I look around and I don't see him in this place. All I see is brokenness. All I see is affliction. I don't hear his voice. I don't see his hands. What are you going to do? You can doubt or you can worship. You can doubt and wonder, or you can say, I still have his promise. He's still alive, and so I'm going to wait on him until it comes to pass. Mary and Martha, if you only understood in the moment that there's revelation on the other side of Bethany, you're going to hear him say, I am the resurrection and I am the life. You're going to see Lazarus walk out of that grave in a way that's unexplainable and unexplicable. But you've got to trust him until you see it come to pass. Disciples, Pentecost is on the other side of Bethany. But you've got to trust him and worship him until it comes to pass. I preach to you today and tell you that God has promise for you and God has an anointing for you and God wants to do something great in your life but you've got to make up in your mind that if i got to go through broken places to get there, I'll go there and if I've got to go through some mess to see it, I'll go through it and if I've got to worship through some darkness I'll still worship you will find me worshiping in Bethany Stand with me all over the house. The psalmist would say it this way, they that sow in tears will reap in joy. He that, that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, will doubtless come again rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him and said, yeah, yeah, I'm in a place of pain. There's more tears and weeping than there is joy and peace. But it is not going to change what I am doing. I will keep sowing. I will keep, I will keep going out, going forth. I will keep praying. I will keep worshiping. I'm going to keep doing what God has called me to do because I believe the promise of the Word of God that if I keep sowing in tears, that there's going to come a day that I'm going to reap in joy. And I tell you that if you'll keep holding on, you'll see your family member come to God and you'll see the breakthrough that you wanted to see and we'll see the revival in Washington, D.C. But we've got to make up in our mind I will worship until I get there. I will trust Him until I get there. I will lean on His Word and His promise until we get there. Come on, lift up your hands all over the house. I feel the presence of the Lord in a powerful way right now. Amen. The enemy's been whispering in some of your ears that God is not working for you and that God can't use you and that God hasn't called you and that God can't do it in your life or in your family or in that loved one that they're too far. But Lazarus and Bethany is proof that you've never been dead too long, that you've never gone too far. So you've got to stir up the faith in you right now. We're on a journey from the cross to Pentecost. 
so until I get there, there's going to be worship on my lips. I'm going to keep believing and I'm going to keep trusting Him. I'm not going to understand everything. Hear me, there may be doubt, but doubt doesn't have to stop you. You can keep walking through the doubt. Just don't let it stop your step. I'm going to keep believing. I'm going to keep praying. I'm going to keep coming to church. I'm going to keep being faithful. I'm going to keep inviting people. I'm going to keep doing what God has called me to do. See God do what He promised. Hallelujah. I believe that the power of the Word of God is connected to our willingness to respond to it. And in this moment, we have an opportunity to respond.